to be here again with all of y'all and my dear friends, Chris and Robin. <clears throat> let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look at the word today, please. Father, thank you that your word abides forever, that your kingdom abides forever. Thank you for your grace that allows us to know you, that you have loved us before we ever existed, that you have called us by your grace to be your children, to be part of your family, to call you our father. Thank you for the privilege of being in your family to be brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Thank you that nothing in heaven or hell can ever separate us from your love and your goodness and your grace. So as we look at your word today, guide us, give us clear thinking, give us understanding, give us the ability to focus our hearts and minds and thoughts upon your truth. Guide us, help us always to be teachable whenever we come to your word. Help us during these next few minutes to understand, to respond appropriately, to love you with all of our beings, and to always love each other. So we commit our time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. I want to read several verses first, and then we'll come back and look at them, beginning in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed out of faith unto faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Then skip to verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Notice why he's not ashamed of the gospel. He doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it will make you very happy. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it will solve all your problems. You will have a wonderful life. 
He doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it works so well in everybody's life. Because sometimes things are hard. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way we thought it would. Sometimes there's a lot of pain. Paul doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say the gospel is going to take away your pain and make life easy. What does he say? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the only message of salvation for mankind. The power of God in the gospel that transforms us and gives us life and raises us from the dead. And it's the only truth in the world that will do that. So we go forth with that gospel with power and certainty of the power of God working in us and through us, through the gospel. That's why Paul's not ashamed of it. And we shouldn't be either. It's still the power of God for salvation if we receive it by faith. And so he goes on in the next verse and says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God and it's received how? By faith. How is it lived out? By faith. We were singing about that. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. The gospel lived out day to day in faith, trusting God, trusting his truth. Now I want to focus primarily this morning on the next several verses. Knowing that the gospel is the truth of God, in it is the power of God for salvation, received by faith, lived out by faith. But what's happened? What has man done with the truth of the true God? Well, he says in verse 18, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and I believe here he's not talking about the final judgment of hell, talking about judgment here and now in the history of mankind, the lives of human beings. The wrath of God has been revealed against what? Against ungodliness and unrighteousness, against the sin of man who do what? Who have suppressed or held down or stifled or hindered the truth. In their sin. There's some truth that we can know, evidently. There's some truth about God that all human beings have access to, evidently. That we have not believed, we have not accepted, we have suppressed, we have held it down, we have tried to remove it from our lives, from our thinking. What is that truth? He says in verse 20, from the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God, things like his power, his divine nature, his existence, his godhood, the fact that he is, that a powerful God exists, has been clearly seen. Note that. It's been clearly seen. To whom? To all mankind and all history. The fact of God's reality, God's existence, God's power has been clearly seen. 
how from what he has made. There's evidence, we, talk, we call this general, general revelation in theology. General revelation. God has shown himself in some ways at least, his existence, certain things about him. He has shown and demonstrated through what? Through his creation. Through what he has made. He's left his mark like an artist leaves a signature on a painting. God has left his mark on what he has made. And he says it's clear. In fact, he goes on to say there, it is so clear, at the end of verse 20, it is so clear that men are without excuse. That's how clear it is. There's a famous atheist philosopher in the 20th century. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is Bertrand, name is Bertrand Russell. A British atheist. He was asked one time in an interview on the radio, <clears throat> if you were to die and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why didn't you believe in me? What would you say? And Bertrand Russell said, I would say, you didn't give me enough evidence. Now evidently, according to this text, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> he would get the, in the in the quiz show, right? Wrong answer. God says, I've given you evidence everywhere. Take a look around. My existence, my power, my, my reality is clearly seen through what I have made. Well, then why doesn't everybody just believe it? Okay. If it's clear, it's out there, right? What has mankind done with this? Have they, have they rejoiced and said, thank you, Lord, this is tremendous. We are so happy and so excited to know you, the creator of all things. We acknowledge you. We, we believe in you. We humble ourselves before you. Has that been the response of man to the clear revelation that God has made of himself? And, of course, the answer to that is obviously no. <laughs> What has man done? Look at verse 18 again. In our sin, we have suppressed the truth, which is clearly seen. We have suppressed it. We have, we have held it down. We have tried to put it out of our minds. I would submit to you, as some others I'm sure have, <clears throat> that there's a lot of people out there who live their lives as though God doesn't exist at all. They are, for all practical purposes, atheists in terms of how they live their lives. They may not be atheists philosophically or whatever, but in terms of living their lives from day to day, they go through the motions of their lives, they go to work, they have family, they come home, watch TV, whatever it is, living their lives, doing their things that they do in their lives with no thought whatsoever for God. 
No thought whatsoever that he might have something to say to them about their lives and their purpose and the meaning for existence or anything like that. They suppress that truth. They put it out of their lives in whatever ways, and there's all kinds of ways of doing that, of course. As though God somehow doesn't even exist. In our sin, in our fallenness, it's easy to do that. Look at verse 25. They exchange the truth of God, clearly seen, remember, through what he has made. They exchange that for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. I would suggest that the lie here that Paul's referring to is Genesis 3. The greatest lie of all time. What did Satan tell Eve? Remember what he did there, how subtle he was, right? He, he didn't come to Eve and say, Eve, I hate you and all of your descendants. I am a monster who is fighting against God. I am totally evil, <clears throat> and I want nothing for you but destruction and damnation. Now, will you do what I say? I doubt she would have done it then, right? But he doesn't come that way, does he? He never does. He never comes that way in his true form. Right? He came to her with a question. Just, just, I, I, Eve, I have a question for you. Right? Did, uh, did God say, let me, let me get this right. God said you could have everything here in this garden, everything, right, whatever you want, right, except that tree there. Is that, is that, is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, she said, yeah, we can have everything we want, as much as we want, everywhere we, we want, except God said don't eat that fruit or touch it, which she added, by the way. Of course, God hadn't said that, uh, or else we'll die. Satan focused then her thoughts on the one negative and got her mind completely off God's generosity, which he does to us, doesn't he? God's grace, God's goodness, he wants to get our thoughts off of that and onto the one thing God said you can't have. The one fruit, he said, don't eat it. Because if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. And then he said, let me tell you why God really said that. It's not because he's a good God. Not, you know, he's, he's holding out on you. He's holding out on you because he knows that if you eat that fruit, you're not going to die. Come on, that's not going to happen. But you're going to become like what? Like he is. You're going to become like 
God. You're going to have the kind of knowledge, insight, abilities, powers that God has. That's why he told you not to eat that fruit. He's not being nearly as good and generous to you as you thought he was. He's definitely holding out on you. He's holding back something he knows you can have, which is power to be like him. That's the lie that man's believed ever since. And so what happened? Verse 25 says, started worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Verse 21, he says, even though they knew God, clearly seen through what he has made, what they do? They did not honor him as God or give thanks. Did it not acknowledge who he really is? Suppress that truth. They did not acknowledge it. Or give thanks to him for what he has made. Mother Nature now does things in the world. Not God. It's 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 Mother Nature. Or whatever other names people use to explain, try to explain what's going on in the world. But not God. They don't honor Him as God or give thanks to the Creator God of the universe. They suppress the truth of who He is. Now, I want to I suggest what I think may be an, a reason why we do this. There's a little book called The Idea of the Holy by Rudolf Otto. And he has something very, very insightful to say here that I think is very, very helpful in understanding this idea of, of clear truth and yet suppressing that truth. Why, why, would we, why would we do that? He suggests something I think that is very, very helpful. And the first, the first thing to think about here is who is God? What is God really like? according to Scripture. If he is truly the creator of all things, the eternal God, infinite in holiness and perfection in all of his attributes, he truly is all-powerful. He truly is all-knowing. He truly is omnipresent in his creation. He's truly all the things the Bible says that he is. If he is that kind of a God, what kind of a God is that? That's a pretty scary God. In Hebrews, <coughs> excuse me, in Hebrews, he's compared to a fire, right? A holy fire. That's God. Now think about having to face that God. 
have to stand before that God. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? The holy fire, the holy, all-powerful creator God of the universe who's going to judge all men. That's a traumatic thing to think about. Something we don't want to think about. Something we don't talk much about. Because it's very traumatic to think about. I want to, I want to point out a couple of, two or three texts in the, in the scripture where we see man having to face God. Man having to deal with the power of God. You can make a note of these if you'd like. I'm just going to read a few things quickly. In John chapter 19, at the trial of Christ with Pilate, remember, remember, remember Pilate's wife had a dream? And she said to him, I don't know about this guy. You better watch it. There's something different about this man. And in John 19, 7 and 8, it says, Jesus answered him, talking to Pilate, he says, we have a law, and by that law, I'm sorry, the Jews were saying to Pilate, we have a law, and by that law, he, Jesus, ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And then when Pilate therefore heard that, the scripture says, remember, he was already nervous because of his wife, and now the text says, when Pilate heard that, he was the more afraid. Jesus is standing before him. Something's going on there. Prior to his trial in John 18, when they came to arrest him, Beginning verse 6, it says, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns. They're coming to the garden where Jesus is. Came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now notice this. When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Think about that. He just looked at them and said three words. And they fell back on the ground. They were in the presence of they didn't acknowledge it, right? But they were in the presence of the power of God in a raw form. And it should have scared the hell out of them, but it didn't. Now, interestingly enough, as we think about these kinds of things, these were, these were unbelievers, right? The Pilate, the, the, the Jewish Pharisees, 
these, these were, weren't believers in Jesus, but I, I see incidences in the Gospels where the disciples were scared to death of Jesus. And they were his disciples. Just a couple of examples. In Mark 4, beginning in verse 36, we have this, this text. Leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? We're perishing out here. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And then it says this, The disciples became very much afraid and said to one another, who is this guy <laughs> that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now I submit to you, at that moment, these were experienced fishermen. They had been in storms. Right? I submit to this moment in time, they were a lot more afraid of Jesus than they were of any storm. Who is this guy? When they see, before their very eyes, a demonstration of the Creator God speaking to His creation and saying, cool it. And instantly, the forces of nature obey Him. You need to meditate on that sometimes. To reflect on the kind of God we're talking about in Scripture. Who is he really? What is he really like? Is he able to calm the force of... Yes. By his word. And nature obeys him. Remember Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6? sees a vision, temple fills with smoke and everything's shaking and there's noise and power, the presence of God, the glory of God. And the response, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, what does he recognize? Right? Woe is me, right? In the presence of this kind of holiness, and power, all he could think about was his sinfulness. Peter responded that way when Jesus told them to let their nets down in the water and fish, right? Remember that? They, they weren't, he said, well, we haven't caught anything. We, we've been fishing all night. We, we know how to fish. We can't get anything. out. Don't fish out here. Jesus said, oh, no, no, let down your nets. All right, and they did. What happened? They were so full, they sunk, almost sunk the boats. 
Peter's response is interesting again. What does he do? Say, oh, thank you for this incredible, uh, whoa, a miracle, amazing, right? No, he fell on his face. Acknowledge again he's a sinful man. In the presence of this God, it's very traumatic to think about. It's scary (laughs) to think about having to face that God, which we will have to do. So, we don't want to think about that. (laughs) It's too traumatic. It's too... So what do we do? We suppress it. We... We, we, we try to put it out of our minds. We, we avoid it. We don't think about it. We don't read about it. We, you know, we want to think nice thoughts. We want to think happy thoughts. We don't want to think about God's power and, and, and glory. And so we suppress the truth. We, we try not to think too much about it. But that's not the end of what happens. interesting about human beings god made us in his image right so because we're in god's image there's something about us that we can't help by nature of creation we are dependent beings right we we are dependent beings we're not independent beings we're dependent beings and we have something in us Right? Some kind of something. <laughs> Spirit thing. <sighs> right? Soul thing. Whatever, how, what, whatever term you want to use for that. There's something in us that's not just our physical bodies. There's, there's something in us going on that's asking questions. Like, why am I here? What is this all about? Does this, does this life mean anything? Do I have any kind of purpose? What, what's going on? We have all these kinds of thoughts coming from somewhere. We are, we are by creation, spiritual beings in the image of God. We can't avoid it. We can't stay. It's just part of who we are. We are religious beings by creation. So, what happens? They don't honor God, verse 21. They didn't know God, didn't honor Him. They didn't recognize God in His creation, that He really exists and He's clearly seen. So what happened? The end of verse 21. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They became philosophers instead of philosophers. Do you ever listen to late night TV interviews or shows, that kind of stuff? Do you ever hear any foolishness on those kind of shows? Unbelievable, isn't it? Do you know that guns kill people? They actually can load themselves. They can get out of your closet, you're safe, and they can load themselves, and they can shoot people. That's almost what we're hearing in some circles nowadays, isn't it? That ridiculous, that absurd, that foolishness. 
in our culture so turned upside down in so many ways. A lot of foolishness. And yet we think we know everything. Yet we think, you know, we're more advanced than we've ever been. We have more technology than we've ever had. Mankind is smarter than he's ever been. And it seems many times that there's more foolishness out there than there certainly is any wisdom. But still, even though our understanding gets darkened and we become foolish in many ways and we lose our sense of real what truth is and the meaning of life and all of this happens as a result of our suppressing the truth of God. We still need to worship something. We're still created religious spiritual beings. So what do we do? Well, we substitute we substitute worship of the true God and we do not honor or accept or thank. For what? Well, verse 25, he said, we serve the creature rather than the creator. End of verse 23. Uh, verse 23, he says, we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. So now we're worshiping the creatures and not the creator. We're worshiping man. Humanism is the worship of man with a capital M. Man is the end of all things. Let me go back to Genesis for a second. They believe the lie. Satan said you can be like God. Know what God knows. And they did. And they fell, as we say, into sin. And I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. What did they do? Adam and Eve. They had this new feeling, right? They had this new experience of feeling guilty somehow, right? This is new. They, they never felt that before. They felt some shame. What's this? Right? So what did they do? They try to hide from God. Now think about how absurd that is. Talk about foolishness. They're going to hide from God, right? The all-knowing, all omnipresent creator of the universe. They're going to go hide from him. But they did something else, too. What else did they do? Tried to cover themselves, right? How pathetic is that? I submit to you that that's the beginning of religion. Man's religions started right there. Began to do what these texts say about worshiping not God, but something or somebody else. Started right there. What were they doing? I mean, think about it. What, what did they think they could do by hiding and covering themselves and, right, somehow God's not going to find out? Right? 
They weren't that stupid, I don't think. They recognized somehow, again, they had this shame thing, this new feeling of guilt somehow. This Something's wrong now. We better figure out a way to get back in God's favor somehow. Which is what mankind's been doing ever since in all sorts of ways, through all sorts of man-made religions and ways, trying to, trying to appease God, trying to f- get back to God, trying to gain favor with God, however, whatever God you want to talk about, right? Somehow trying to make ourselves feel better, trying to deal with our guilt feelings and all of that shame and so forth, and so that we can somehow get back in favor with God. And we have... Millions of religions attempting to do just that all through man's history. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am, say it with me, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life in the midst of all this myriad of philosophies and religions and attempts by man to appease God to gain favor with God whatever all they're trying to do Jesus comes into the world incarnated son of God And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And Paul says again back in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you've never believed in him today, let me challenge you, beg you to trust him. Put your faith in the only truth in the universe who can save us. Let's not get distracted. There's so much stuff out there, all kinds of things that can distract us. But don't don't let them distract you from the truth of the gospel of grace which is the only means of salvation. Let's be faithful in spreading that gospel with every, every day, every breath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that Jesus came, that he is the truth, the way, and the life. Father, we can't even begin to comprehend your grace and your love for us is beyond our understanding. But thank you. All we can say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray if there's anyone in this room that has never come to know you, come to faith in you, that they will today, right now, realize that you are the Savior, the only Savior from their sin. And they will trust you. Help us as we go from here to be strong in faith, 
to live this out, this gospel truth, live this out authentically and really in our lives every day. The way we talk, the way we act, the way we live, and I love you and love others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.